0: We are thrilled to welcome Dr. Karen Binder-Brines to the Style That Binds Us podcast today. Dr. Karen is a leading psychologist with a private practice in New York City. She provides individual as well as marital, family, and group psychotherapy. In addition, Dr. Binder-Brines is a leading expert in the field of post-traumatic stress. She has worked with frontline COVID-19 first responders, The Firefighters After 9-11, Survivors of the Holocaust, and she canceled the Episcopal Priests in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, and so many more. She has contributed to The New Yorker, Tracy Anderson's magazine, Bustle, Vogue, Goop, and CNN, among others. She is the mother of two daughters, and she now has three granddaughters as well. And today we're gonna be discussing how far women have come in combating the age old ideal that women have to be perfect. And what can be done, is there anything more that can be done to help women find their voice? Okay. Hi ladies.
1: It's so nice to be with you both again. Two incredible women who are powerful and out there and creating an incredible business and a forum for issues related to women besides style. And I really admire the work that you two have done and are doing and the risks that you take to do this work, which I think is all involved in the topic that we're discussing today, which is women and women's power and women's continued need to be liked and accepted and still need to feel they need to be careful about rocking the boat too much.
0: Mm-hmm. So we let's rock the boat today. <laughs> that sounds great. It is, you know, talking about yourself or anything that maybe someone has a different opinion about can be really, really, really scary. Especially, I think, Karen, you and I have talked about this before with our generation and above. And our daughters have actually helped us in that some, too. So what changes have you noticed since the beginning days of your practice? Well, number one, I come from a generation
1: of I was lucky enough to be born right after the first wave of feminism. Well, not born, but come to age right after the first wave of feminism, which really occurred in the mid to late 70s and a little bit before, but really saw the light of day, I think, in the late 70s. And and my practice started in the 90s, the early 90s. So there was some there was a time period between when women began really emerging out of the shadows in many, many ways, and when I started practicing psychotherapy. And I'm a child of the 60s and had a mother that was a child of the 40s, 50s. Women were very, very different back then. I remember growing up and having my mother and her friends sitting around chit-chatting. Most of them were not working back in those days out of the house. I I should say being at home and raising kids is work, but they were not working out of the house. And I have vivid memories of these women sitting around the kitchen table. Unfortunately, most of them were smoking cigarettes at the time. At about four o'clock, they'd start looking at their watches and say, oh, I've got to go home now and cook dinner. Oh yes, I better go home now and cook dinner. Basically, that's what their lives were, raising children, taking care of their husbands and their homes. It wasn't quite the model that I later came to embrace as I got older, went to college and was the benefit of the women slightly older than me that were beginning to break barriers. So we have come a long way, but I often say that we've come a long way, maybe because as far as women have come, we're now in the workforce, we've run for president. One of my closest friends was the first woman to trade stocks on the floor of the stock exchange. We've come a long way, but women still struggle with not rocking the boat, being liked, combining their feminism and being feminine with their power. I think we are beginning to see another revolution right now. But if you sit in my office, which I've done for many, many years now, it's still shocking, shocking at how so many women are still living in the shadows of their power. That makes
0: perfect sense. I mean, it's it's scary. You know, it's scary. To, you had to really be brave to give your opinions and to disagree with people and all of those things. Yes, it's funny that you're saying that. I was watching the uh, US
1: Tennis Open this week and Billie Jean King was honored. Um, Billie Jean King, of course, one of the preeminent tennis champions. And she stood up to the powers that be after she won, I think, uh, the US Open, may have been the Grand Slam. And she began demanding that the women tennis players get equal pay to the men and she threatened the tennis association that she may not show back up again and we've seen that again recently with the u.s women's soccer team who also demanded equal pay and many many other sports we're beginning to see this so here we are I talked about women's liberation in the 70s and we're now in 2023 and women are still, still fighting for equality and being recognized and being valued. And, you know, it's hard. It's still hard for women to come out of the shadows.
0: Right. It really is. When you said feminine and power, those two words... You know, traditionally, we're not synonyms.
1: No. As a matter of fact, it's such a dichotomy when you start reading and thinking about women. You know, if women are too out there uh, or aggressive or assertive, they're called ball busters, bitches, and many other even more derogatory terms. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, if women are trying to achieve positions of power and they're laid back, too passive, don't open their mouths, then they're considered weak and ineffective. So where is the fine line between accessing our power, remaining feminine in a good way, and yet not being put in the category of, Ballbuster, power—you know—a uh, power-hungry or hysterical, right? Right, hysterical. Good word. Um, uh, hysterical was a was a a good cinnamon for, and still is to this day for women
0: being angry. Right, that just drives me crazy. Yeah, he's being yeah. hysterical. Yeah, like like well, they talked about that with menopause too, right? They were hysterical. They, you know, right. like, terrible. You know. Affliction,
1: or something, and we're lucky that we're brought up in the not medieval days where women were routinely locked up in mental asylums for being crazy because they got angry or emotional um, or hormonal. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we we are lucky that we're past that, but we still have a ways to go. And one of the things that I talk about is that there were evolutionary reasons for women to be likable. And I am an evolutionary thinker, meaning I always try to place place the present in, especially when it comes to human behavior and human psychology, in the not so distant past of our prehistoric ancestors. It may have been millions of years, but in terms of, you know, existence, It's really just a heartbeat away. And back in the day when we had our prehistoric ancestry, women were very vulnerable. They had had the babies, they were in caves, and they really had to rely on their males and the community, their villages or their clans, or they would have perished. And so, They had to be amicable, affable, nice because they had to keep their communities protecting them and their men to come back and bring the food. And even though women do not need that anymore, women can work, find their own shelter, find their own food, and don't even necessarily need a male partner to have babies. So we don't, we've come so far that way and yet deep in our primitive brains and souls, we're still not that far from our prehistoric ancestors. So we're battling not only societal norms but we're battling very deep, what we call now neuroplasticity, brain wiring, wiring that says you better be good or you're going to perish.
0: That's fascinating. That really is.
1: And it starts at a very young age. One of the things that I mentioned in this recent article I wrote is that I now have grandchildren and I have a four-year-old granddaughter, wonderful little soul. (laughs) And I also have a two-year-old grandson. And when I'm out in the world with that granddaughter, It is amazing how people respond to her. You're so pretty. You're so sweet. Look at that cute little girl. I love your hair. Isn't she just so adorable? And at the same time, I can be out with my two-year-old grandson. And what do I hear? Look at that boy. What a tough little guy. Look (laughs) at him. He's a bruiser. You know, (laughs) right from day one, The way the world responds to us, to little girls and little boys, is really quite remarkable, the difference. So from a very young age, we start absorbing messages. Oh, we're supposed to be pretty. Oh, we're supposed to be good. Oh, we're supposed to be cute and sweet. And the boys start absorbing messages of, oh, we better be strong. We better be tough. We better not cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we better we better grab that ball in the playground or they're going to think we're weak. And it's just amazing to see this indoctrination, even in today's world, where I do think some of us, many of us are trying to be more conscious of these
0: things. It's still going on everywhere. It's unlearning when you have to fight against, like you said, what...
1: Yeah. So I'm gonna give you an example of something that happened that I also write about. My daughters went to a school in New York City, very good school. And one year the school administration decided that they wanted to understand whether or not there was sexism going on with the teachers. And they hired some experts that came in to observe the classroom. And one of the things that these observers noticed is that when, when teachers asked questions, the boys were called on much more than the girls, significantly more than the girls when people raised their hand. And so they observed a little deeper. And what did they find? When teachers asked the question, the boys' hands shot up immediately. Whether they knew the answer or not, their hands went up. And the girls raised their hands but they lagged behind even a second or two of the boys. And then what they noticed is that the teachers called on the first hands that they saw. So without knowing it, teachers were often calling on boys much more than girls because that's whose hands they were seeing. So what what they did in this program, once the teachers realized this, is they began to practice taking a pause before they called on the first hand they saw. And wow. that way, girls had more of a chance to be called on. Because if girls aren't called on, if teachers aren't aware of this, after a while, the girls learned something we call learned helplessness. Hmm. Why should I raise my hand if I'm never called on? And so what happened is they stopped raising their hands. So even a minor, minor, it seems minor, right? Who would have ever thought this? Who would have ever thought to think who raises their hands first in a classroom? But even that minor observation and shift help the girls at this school be able to raise their hands and get heard. And I just think it's such a great example of the kind of conditioning that as women we've had to put up with forever um, and, and still do. So even though we are out in the world now in, you know, in a way that women could never have imagined, women vice presidents, running for president, you know, running corporations, directing movies, um, we're still struggling with how to balance our power and our likability, I call it, likability. Women feel they need to be liked. And so how do you marry being liked and being powerful and being assertive and being strong? So another thing I mentioned is that I was a very avid reader as a little girl. I devoured books. And if I couldn't get to the library, I was left with my parents' bookshelves, which back in those days were filled with my father's engineering textbooks. (laughs) But there was one book that I found that my mother had brought from her college days, and it was Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. And in Little Women, which was written in 1868, it was a story of a family during the Civil War, a mother who was left at home with four daughters. The father was off fighting the war. And the one of the daughter's name was Joe, Joe March. And Joe was a tomboy, quote unquote. She didn't care what people thought. She didn't need to be agreeable. She wanted to be a writer. She wanted to be able to do what the boys do. And she was one of the early and first role models that I came across of a girl that said, I don't care if I'm light. I'm just gonna be who I am. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that Joe March, if she was living here today, would be thrilled at how far women got, but I think she'd be dismayed at how much women still feel that it's all about being liked.
0: Right. Sometimes, sometimes you don't even realize it until someone points it out, you know? No, you don't. And one of
1: the, one of the things I know, Allison, you and I have talked about this, Mm -hmm. And I've become so aware of this, not only in, in my patients and out in the world, but in myself, is that women are constantly saying, I'm sorry. If someone bumps into them on the street, they say, oh, I'm sorry. Right. I mean, if, if, if you, if you I, uh, my office is in a brownstone and there's an elevator. And sometimes I'm taking the elevator down to the ground floor and the door opens and there may be a woman standing there to get on the elevator. And I can't tell you how many times I've opened the door and the woman standing there says to me, Oh, I'm sorry. What are you sorry for that you're waiting for the elevator? Um, So, you know, I think that that is part and parcel with, oh, I better be a good girl. I better not make waves. I better take up as little space as possible. And if you sit in my office for a week, even after all of these years, I am continually shocked at how powerful women come in here who are running companies, who are CEOs, who are successful actresses, who are whatever they are in their careers, and they still suffer from not understanding their finances, not being afraid of their partner's reactions to things that they buy, or if they wanna know what their finances are. When it comes to prenups, it's really amazing that a woman who could be sitting in a boardroom with thousands of employees under her can walk in here and tell me she doesn't have access to her own money because the husband runs the money. Shocking? Yes. No. (laughs) (laughs) But not shocking, right? Because we're taught, we're taught and we're conditioned to not make waves and to not be too strong and to not overpower our male counterparts. It's just shocking. But I do think that this particular summer was a very interesting summer. And I think you're going to know what, you're going to laugh when I say it, but there were a couple of big cultural things that happened this summer. One was a Taylor Swift Eras tour which has grossed billions of dollars, has actually boosted the United States economy. And this was all based on one young woman's power and talent and assertiveness. And the other phenomena was the Barbie movie. Um, I'm also gonna add Beyonce's tour because I think she's coming right along now close to Taylor Taylor Swift's kind of power. And here we are, you know, with these powerful, powerful women who are not afraid to mount these shows, these worldwide tours, and really show that women can bring in huge amounts of revenue and can really run the show. And as I think we all know, Taylor Swift has fought her managers and her record companies to have much more control over her songs and the money that, that she generates. So, you know, I'm hoping that this may be the summer of some big changes going on.
0: Mm-hmm. And they are great examples of being feminine and being powerful. Right. And
1: even the Barbie movie, which looked scary when I first started reading about it, like, are you kidding? <laughs> you know, Barbie, Pink, Barbie Pink. Right. but you know, we all know now that that movie had much more powerful messages. Um, and the messages that you know, um, and I think it was America Ferrer's character, right. gave a speech about the impossible demands put on women and basically said, you never have to get old, you never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard. It's too contradictory. But the fact is, is that, you know, women are doing that. Women are finding their voices. Women are having worldwide tours. Women are running for president. Women are you know, uh, neurosurgeons and astronauts and and everything. So I think we have to just, we have to keep battling these very deeply ingrained, not only psychological, but neurological processes that we all live with. Back to my granddaughter, her name's Monroe. Often when I hear someone say to her, oh, you're so cute, she's so pretty. I'll just perk up and say, you know what? She's really competent. She's really athletic, and she's really smart.
0: <laughs> right, and she
1: is. Yes, she is. But she's getting mixed messages. Yes, she's getting mixed messages. And um, just like her, her cousin, my the grandson, is getting mixed messages because on one hand, everybody's telling him how you know strong and you know powerful he is and he's great with the basketball already and blah 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 and on the other hand his liberated mother is trying to teach him that it's okay for boys to cry and it's okay to make mistakes so you know i think this new generation is being brought up with mixed messages
0: right absolutely and it's to me it's complicated because before we can teach other people how to treat us, we have to be aware of the fact that it's happening to begin with. Yes. And even myself, who's a seasoned
1: psychotherapist, I've had my own practice now for so many years. I was thinking about it uh, this week. Male therapists that I know mm-hmm. have no qualm charging their patients when they miss sessions. Mm-hmm. No qualms at all. They set it out right at the beginning. You miss a session, you pay. This is like renting an apartment. You're renting me every week. You're not here. You still have to pay. Women therapists have much more trouble with that. We have much more trouble raising our fees because we're caretakers. Right. We're inbred caretakers. So if I'm a caretaker, then how can I charge you? Because you had a meeting come up and you didn't take the time that I may have been able to give to somebody else. Um, And this is an ongoing struggle that female therapists, you know, we talk about all the time. And, you know, really, again, this is the ingrained, it doesn't matter if we have MDs or PhDs or what we've done. It's still very hard to ask and demand what we deserve and what we need.
0: Right. Especially if if you're dealing with someone who is really struggling and then, you know, when you say, well, you owe me this, they're going to feel abandoned somehow or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And of course, and that's the point. The point is, um, I mean, obviously if somebody's really struggling, you're going to do what you can to help them. But the point really is why is it that it's so hard for women to ask for equal pay to men, getting what they deserve, raising their fees no matter what they do. You're a stylist. You know, you you should get paid for what you do. And I'm sure that if you had a male stylist, he probably wouldn't struggle as much when it came time to charge his clients or raise
0: fees. Exactly. And he would be glad to explain why.
1: Because we're nice girls. We're not supposed right. to do that. We're supposed to give things away. We're, we're supposed
0: everything. to
1: right, take care of everybody. And this is not easy to change.
0: Right. Right But we have it's, to keep we, trying. We do. We have our, we have, we talk about it in communities and also with our daughters saying, well, you know, this is a business. This is what you're doing for a living. You you know, it's the same thing, certainly, you know, with you. with definitely, you know.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, we don't want to be socially ostracized. You know, people need to be part of communities. And I think women are afraid, even among each other. This isn't just about men and women. This is also women and women. Yeah. Women and women. I mean, there was just an article over the weekend about women going to certain exercise studios out in the Hampton, right. which is the beach community in um, outside of New York City. And, you know, the, 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 the sort of power plays that go on with who stands in the front, who doesn't stand in the front, who gets the best parking spot. I mean, I had a laugh. That uh, here, when women were among just women, and this was women, you know, they were all battling each other for I don't know what. you know. Um, and in, in that case, it didn't really matter that they were liked or not. What mattered was, let me get the best place to exercise. Now, here's my point. Because I have to look my best, have the best body, be the most attractive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. For what? Mm. For what? Right. To get something, to get noticed, to get
0: attention, to get whatever it is. Right. To feel good about myself is what they're, you know, thinking. But but then they're being mean to, you know, the whole thing. So yeah. Mixed messages. Yeah. yeah and, it's, and it's
1: hard because I think um, I think when women are battling to get what they need and get ahead, it is harder, it's hard. It's And I think women are learning better to work together in communities. You know, when women first went into the workforce in full force, I'd say in the eighties, you know, it was pretty cutthroat because there weren't that many, it was hard. There were very few positions that were open and women really did have to battle it out and often didn't know how to help each other up the ladder of a corporate situation. I think women have gotten better with that because there's a lot more opportunity now. But again, women struggle with being liked and being assertive and rocking the boat and um, showing their levels of ambition that ambition, instead of being called ambition, is often labeled as aggression. Mm-hmm. When no one would ever say that a male showing ambition was necessarily just aggressive, just because they were ambitious.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: Um, I remember. I remember also. Uh, Barbara Streisand directed a movie many years ago uh, called Yentl. And I remember reading about what she was called on the set just because she needed to be assertive. She needed to get the shots right. She needed to do what any director did. Right. But she was called a bitch or she was called, you know, uh, a ball Yes. You know, you would never hear someone say that about Steven Spielberg.
0: Right.
1: He's difficult.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Exactly.
1: So by the way, as far as I know, Barbara Streisand never directed a movie again.
0: Aww. So I don't know movie.
1: I don't know if that's related, but you know, it's just an example of when women sometimes try to put their toes in the waters
0: uh-huh.
1: of, of shaking things up, of not just being nice, of using mm-hmm. their voices, mm-hmm. they're often met with a lot of resistance and anger.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then they retreat. Right. Or they rebel. But I think more often than not, they retreat. And they put up with a lot. And getting back to my practice again, this isn't just about money. What women still put up with in their homes, with their spouses is pretty remarkable in this day and age because they're
0: afraid and what you know it's like what what are you so afraid of you know it's you've just been taught so long that you don't argue you don't stand up for yourself you don't demand you know
1: no you're the good little girl who sits with her legs crossed and her hands folded and waits for the nice boy to come pick you out of the line at the seventh grade dance <laughs> oh my god so so, you know it's not hopeless again i think this summer i think the i think there's you know we had the me too movement right that was good because you know here this was a perfect example i mean i don't know about you allison but i grew up in a day and age where i was sexually harassed by almost every professor the chairman of my doctoral program sexual harass me and it took a male student to confront him for me. I was so afraid to speak up about it until this one male student happened to observe one of these moments and he actually said to this professor, If I ever hear you do that again with Karen, I'm gonna report you to the dean. Wow. I couldn't say it. Right, no. And it was almost, I hate to say it, it was almost normalized that sure. women of our generation almost, it, 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 you expected to be harassed, you expected the sexism. It was like, oh yeah, there it is again. Oh yeah, I'm used, to, I, oh yeah, here we go again. But not, what the hell are you doing? Stop it now, you're going to be reported.
0: Right. Oh, you would be fired or you would be hailed or, you know, whatever it it so is. So that is
1: great. So I do think, you know, that the the there is a change going on, but it's slow. And I do think our daughters, Delia, you're one of them. And my daughters have been raised by a generation of women who have tried to break the barriers, who have put themselves out there. I mean, if someone had told me in high school that I was going to get a PhD, I would have laughed. Neat. Nobody got PhDs. No women, no not that many people got
0: PhDs back then, but certainly right. no women did. And you would help, you know, the firefighters after 9-11 and go down to New Orleans and help the priests carry their burden from Katrina. I mean, you've done these huge, Remarkable. Yes. things. And as women, we can do huge, remarkable things.
1: Yes, we have done huge, remarkable things. You mean, I I went to see um, the movie Golda this mm-hmm. week, which was about the woman, that prime minister of yeah. Israel that got Israel through one of the big wars, the Yom Kippur War. I mean, she was she, she was remarkable. I mean, this was in the 40s it's funny, getting back again to Billie Jean King, which I mentioned earlier, back in the early 80s, I went out to lunch with a friend of mine who happened to be a lawyer. And we had met at two o'clock in the afternoon at a Chinese restaurant in New York City, which was empty because nobody's eating Chinese food at two o'clock in the afternoon. And we're sitting in this lovely dining room and two women walk in. And they happened to seat these two women, the only other patrons in the restaurant, at the next table. Well, guess who it was? Billie Jean King and Sally Ride. Wow. Sally Ride, you know, was one of our early female astronauts. And Billie Jean King, we all know. Mm -hmm. And here, here we were. I had just started my Ph.D. program. My friend had just finished law school. And here we were with these two women who were power figures mm. and it was really thrilling.
0: <laughs> so I bet it was thrilling, you know,
1: because they were, they were examples of breaking barriers.
0: And then you were examples of, because of what they did, you all were going to do big things. Yes. To you.
1: And you two are too. And women are going to be continuing to do that. You know, most Households in this country are run by women, are supported by women, and yet, you know, women still say sorry if they're right. waiting for an elevator and somebody's getting off.
0: Right. And I think, I think too, women are confused, especially women who are mothers of boys. You know, it's not, it, it feels a lot of times to people like it's man bashing. You know, and they don't want to do that, but they don't know how to stand up for themselves if they don't, you know, point the finger at a little bit at the men. So it's it's difficult for women, some. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which is why I think it really isn't about men. Men have to deal with their own stuff. And right. as we all know, they have a lot of stuff they have to deal with. Right. I mean, with the world is in the place it is today, I think, because of many leaders that happen to have been men or are men. So I don't think it's about going up against the men. I really think it's about going up against ourselves and unlearning, as you said before, in order to relearn, we have to unlearn. And we have to battle our, our, our neurochemistry. We really do Mm -hmm. because we get, Our brains are programmed to assess very rapidly danger situations. And we are so conditioned that if we feel angry or if we demand something, all of a sudden our brain starts lighting up like, oh, we're in danger. Mm -hmm. That's dangerous. Go away. You better not do that. And so we develop mechanisms To hide that. And one of them, I I don't want to get too psychoanalytical, but there is a defense mechanism called reaction formation, which I'm always teaching my patients about. And I'm guilty of it. And I bet we're all guilty of it. And that is sometimes we're in a situation where someone does something and we feel angry at them. But what happens instead of our anger coming out, we become overly nice.
0: Oh, gosh.
1: And that's called a reaction formation. It's a reaction that we formulate to counter the anger and aggression we're feeling to keep us safe. On the subway, like if you fear you're in danger or something. I mean, I feel like I would say, oh, no, no. Like if someone came up to me and was going to attack me or whatever, I feel like I would try to apologize and be so nice. Oh, no, I didn't mean to do anything so that in hopes that they wouldn't hurt me. Is that what you're talking about? That's it's that's not really what I'm talking about, Delia, because that is probably a very adaptive thing to do in that situation because you were in physical danger. I'm talking more about a psychological thing. Okay, here's a good example. You're invited to a luncheon. There's someone at the luncheon that has rubbed you wrong or hasn't treated you well, or for whatever reason, you've had some stuff. And you go to the luncheon and what you really wanna say is, I don't like you, I don't like what you did, but instead, you make sure you sit next to her and you're sweet as sugar. Okay. You're nice. So you're nice instead of angry.
0: Are you you're trying nice. to like you? Is that why I, oh, someone
1: it's does. that? You can't, it's that women have such hard times dealing with their own aggression and anger. Ah, standing up for themselves. Because they want to be liked. So okay. this, when I talk about a reaction formation, this is not conscious. This is not like you're, you walk in, you think, oh, Mary wasn't nice to me, so I'm going to be nice. It's not even that conscious. It just happens. Wow. With a boyfriend or a husband or a, a friend where you're really angry, but you're so afraid to be angry that you act overly nice. And Allison, I, I know you know what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, I, I do now
1: that you put it that way, right. You know, Yeah. so, and again, some of this is because we, this is how we survived. We have to, we had to be taken care of by our communities. There's a wonderful book that was out a few years ago and I'm sorry that I can't remember the author, but it was about human, it was about human development from an evolutionary point of view, and the name of the book was *Sapiens*. Mm. And he basically talked about how we evolved, and that you know we started out as small families, little groups of people that lived very separately. I'm talking again prehistoric person <laughs> humans, and then we developed a little bit larger communities that would come together, and then larger clans. And in order to survive. Members of the community had to be liked. If they weren't liked, they got sent out. They got, they died. And especially as I mentioned earlier, women had to, you know, when women were pregnant early, giving birth, breastfeeding, they were in very vulnerable physical states. So right. they had to be taken care of by the community. And we still feel that today. We still feel that if we're too assertive, if we're too aggressive, if we're too strong willed, mm-hmm. somehow we're gonna get booted out of the community.
0: Right. Ah, yes. And that community could be your own home. Or it could be your own home. Oh, it could be your or- yeah.
1: Yeah. It could be your friend group. Right. It could be, you know, it, it could be anything. But some of this is really was adaptive it was adaptive and as gilia your example before on the subway that was an adaptive response to not get angry at someone who was out of control but it wouldn't be an adaptive response if you were at a board meeting and the males kept cutting you off when you were talking which often happens And then you were overly nice. Okay, all right. It's okay for you to keep interrupting me as opposed to, do you realize that you've interrupted me three times?
0: Right, because you know that's going to stop that, stop the conversation dead in its tracks and everybody's going to freeze. And everybody's going to think, what a bitch.
1: Right. As opposed to, wow, she's right. We're not even conscious of it, but we keep interrupting her because we all know, and there's been many studies of this, that in meetings, males continually interrupt females and don't let them speak. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a reaction formation in that case would be, let's say, John at the table's cutting you off and he's cut you off three times and you say, go ahead, John, you know, it's what you're saying is so interesting
0: mm. that
1: that would be an example of a reaction formation
0: mm-hmm.
1: What you really want to say is shut the f up john and let me talk <laughs> <laughs> my <laughs> gosh you're so right now even hearing me say that i was you know even hearing me say shut the f up john yeah yeah I thought to myself, wow, that sounded pretty strong. And you
0: probably thought that too. But well, I could see how you would want to say that, you know. And if you did, there again, the room would just go into silence like right. hysterical. But I,
1: I think if it was men sitting around the table and there weren't any women there, yeah. I think it wouldn't go over like that. I think the guy would say, oh, I'm sorry,
0: keep going. Yeah. John. Okay. You me. go ahead. Right. Right.
1: So, you know, we walk a tightrope, we want to be liked, we want, you know, everybody wants to be liked. There isn't anybody on earth that doesn't want to be liked. That's a human need, but it's what are we going to do and how are we going to be so that we can be our powerful, assertive selves Mm -hmm. and sometimes liked, and sometimes we're not going to be liked. Oh, right. And that's okay. Okay. And that's okay. And that's okay. And that's what, you know, I think the younger generation, Delia, you, my daughters, you know, I do see, I do see change. I'm hoping Mm -hmm. that in your daughter's generation, we won't even have to be talking about this anymore. Mm -hmm. But we still do. We still do. So one of the things that I was asked to do in this article was develop some challenges for women. And so let me share some of the challenges that I brought up for us to all think about and maybe try. You ready? Yes. Yes. I said, stop saying I'm sorry. Try counting how many times a day you say, I'm sorry become more aware of this tendency and see if you can try saying I'm sorry less or not at all for just one day. You
0: don't have to be sorry for taking up space. And if somebody bumps into you, you wait for them to say something and then you can say no problem. Right. But, but or,
1: or you don't say anything. If they bump into you and they keep walking, you don't have to say you're sorry. Sure, sure. Okay. The other thing is that, you know, I say, give yourself positive affirmations every time you hear yourself being self-critical. Even if you feel you were too nice or too avoidant to get what you need. So instead of saying, oh, God, I I didn't speak up. Um, You know, I'm so bad. I'm so weak. Okay, then say, but I showed up. I showed up to this meeting. I'm doing my work. I'm going to keep working on this. Mm. Not stay in the negative. Ask for raises. Raise your fees. Don't dim your lights at work, no matter what it is that you do. Because your male counterparts do this every day. They do not dim their light. They ask for raises and they ask for promotions and they raise their fees. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Say no when you want to today. And stop worrying that you won't be liked if you say no. And don't even get me going. When we do our podcast about dating, we'll get to the saying no to men in the dating and sex arena. But that's for a different day, okay? Yes. Yes. Do not compare your life to anybody else's by engaging in social media for one day. Now, I don't mean not looking at the style that fights us.
0: <laughs> no, I understand. We understand. But that. you
1: know what I mean. I think one of the things that's happened is that, you know, there's been such pressure on women to look perfect, be perfect, be happy, be the one out there at every event, everything, everything. And I think, you know, it. It's 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 very hard on people's self-esteem. Right. Because you're not always seeing the truth. And Most the lower your self-esteem, the more you're going to go out in the world trying to be liked.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: And the other prompt I gave was ask for something you've been wanting to ask for. For a long time, but been afraid to ask either from a partner or friend or anyone else.
0: Just ask. So how do you how does one go about that? Well, um, let me think. Let's say they, they know exactly what it would be, but they they would have asked for it a long time ago if they knew how to do it. So how do they take that first step? Well,
1: the first step is to, to be in touch with what it is that you would wanna ask for. Right. So maybe, um, I, had, I had something, I'll talk about my own life. Uh-huh. I'm always asking my husband, are you okay? Are you okay? Right. Are you okay? And one day I realized, and I actually said this to him recently, I said, do you realize I'm always asking you if you're okay? <laughs> do you ever ask me if I'm okay? And he's a good guy. He's a really good oh, guy. Yeah. It's not that he's a bad guy. It's just that I'm trained yes. to always ask. And I never asked him before. We've been together 20 years to ask if I'm okay. Just simply, are you okay?
0: Right. We're so only- that,
1: that's a small example of asking for something. I didn't even know that I needed that until this one day where I found myself asking him if he was okay. And then I said, wait a minute, am I, am I okay? Does he ask are me if i I'm okay?
0: Right, I feel like women are good at... Um, Test whatever it is. Always being aware of the the temperature of the room, sort of of the people around them. Like, does this what they need? Is he okay? He looks like he's frowning. I need to make sure what's wrong with him, or you know, all of those things. And And that's
1: you want to be light because you want to be safe. Ah, yes, okay. But what what have women found out? We don't need to be that safe anymore.
0: Right. And we can take care of ourselves. That's right. That's right. So there you go. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a great place to to finish this podcast. Um, I think it's just I hope that women listen to it and listen to it over and over again and maybe even share it with some of the males in their lives. I think yeah. a lot of times they just don't know. Yes.
1: And to forgive ourselves right. for... Fact that
0: we're still struggling with this, right? And how it all started, right? Right. Instead of saying, "What's wrong with me?" That's right. That's right. You don't. Know,
1: you know. I love this book. It was on Oprah's um, book list during COVID. I remember. And instead of saying, "The book is called What Happened to You," right? As opposed to "What's wrong with you," right? It's women. We have to say, "What happened to us that we have to be so nice?" Right. Not what's
0: wrong with us that we're so nice. Oh, and especially the way people say that. What's wrong with you? Right. You know, if you're acting a certain way instead of, you know, what happened to you. So that's a, that's a great book to read. I, I definitely.
1: Yeah, that's it's a great book, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's a great book when you're dealing with trauma.
0: It really is. Uh, I forgot the author. I'm sorry. You no, well know it's it's Oprah and this. Yeah, or Oprah yeah. and doctor, yeah. A doctor, right, yeah, that's great. Okay, Karen, well, thank you so, so very, very much for this important. And happy birthday to you both. Thanks. Thanks you.
1: <laughs> we'll talk soon. Thank you for tuning into this episode on the Style That Finds Us podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to tell a friend and subscribe. You can be a part of growing with us. Also, do you know about our weekly newsletter?
0: You'll get access to exclusive content in our newsletter that we don't post anywhere else. Our newsletter comes out every Tuesday with the exception of the third Thursday of the month for Allison's special Celebrating Life After 40 edition. Head to the bottom of the Style That Binds Us website to subscribe.